This podcast is produced in part by Podfly.net. Podfly, fashion for great sounding podcasts. Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. We are moving along very, very briskly through 2015, and I really appreciate you sharing this journey by tuning in and listening to another episode. And now let's meet our guest for today. (laughs) Our guest is Lori Guest, and she is a CSP, which is a designation given out by the National Speakers Association called the Certified Speaking Professional, a designation that less than 10% of speakers worldwide have. And guess who else has it? Yep, I do. I am also a CSP. Lori is an entrepreneur, an author, a professional speaker who is so well known for her imaginative ideas and her entertaining style. She has experience that encompasses over 24 years in healthcare and more than two decades as a solopreneur. Lori speaks from a practical point of view. She is from DeKalb, Illinois. She is a wife, a mother, and she's a Monopoly tournament champion. I think, Lori, you might be the first Monopoly tournament champion to ever be on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. <laughs> I love being the first in something. That's great. Hi, Tom. Thanks Hi. for having me. Thank you very much. So I have a quick question. How sure. does one win Monopoly? Well, I'll tell you. It's an interesting philosophy because everybody thinks you should get the dark blues, you know, the park place and the boardwalk, but that's not true. You go for the oranges and the light blues at all costs and build early, build often. So that is the secret to being a Monopoly tournament champion. Sounds like it's a secret to being a business champion. (laughs) That's exactly right. (laughs) Start early and build. And build. And actually feeds into my philosophy on pricing, too, because some people think that, that, you know, sky high is the goal. And my philosophy has always been, let's keep it affordable and and, and more in the the busy zone, so to speak. And that's exactly how those properties are. The light blue and the uh, dark orange, it gets so much traffic because of where they're placed on the board, but they're also economical. So you can build earlier. And I think it's interesting how similar it is to how I ended up building my business. So so why don't you tell us a little bit about your business? I am a professional speaker and trainer, like you mes- mentioned in the introduction. And I actually have two divisions. I have one that uh, is focused on being a humorous keynoter. So I speak for a lot of associations, uh, kick off corporate events to set the tone and that kind of thing. But I also have another division that's focused on customer service and has a secret shopping division. So people hire us to go go in and pretend to be customers, clients, patients, and patrons, and then give feedback to the owners or the managers on how their people are really doing. So it's an interesting job. So that's one of the coolest things I think that you do is your secret shopping. Can you tell us a little bit more about why a company should hire you or some other secret shopper to come in and get that point of view? Well, the way it started was that a lot of times people were asking me to come in and do customer service 101 for their frontline team. And I noticed that when I would get there and start doing the teaching, a lot of people would have that body language like, well, I'm sure you've seen it, Tom, the body language 
it says, tell us something we don't know. We know all this already. You know what I'm talking about? Absolutely. Yep. (laughs) And I knew I had an event coming up. This is probably 15 years ago. And I just had this gut feeling that the people were going to have this very strong attitude, including the owners of these different groups that were going to be there. And so I just decided, why don't I go in and see if their front people really do know everything about customer service? And that's how it started, because I was able to then give them reports just because we know it doesn't mean we're doing it. And that's really the message I take to businesses now. We think we train it. We assume our people are doing it. And most often they do when we're there. But what are the people doing when we're not there? And so that's how that got started and why I think so many people should, uh, you know, hire somebody to take a peek at how your customers are being treated, what what opportunities are you missing, that type of thing. And this works for any industry. This isn't just retail where you have to walk in and, and buy a pack of gum. This can work for all types of businesses, right? Oh, absolutely. Service industries especially. It uh, really is good to have a, have a peek into what's happening when you're not there watching. <laughs> so you had a job that you were in working in healthcare. What led you to decide, I'm going to go do my own thing? What, what circumstances led you to going off on your own? I had been doing some speaking with my job. I was actually in the eye care field, ophthalmology, and we would host a lot of events for referring physicians. And I was at an event one time where there was one speaker who was not industry specific, and she was just unbelievable. She had people on the edge of the chair, and they were laughing and crying, and she really moved them. And I was pretty jealous of the work she did. And I walked up to her afterwards, and I said, I think I want to do what you do. And uh, it was the the great Glenna Salisbury, who was the incoming president of the National Speakers Association that particular year. And she said, yeah, she's like a living legend. Yeah, she's, like she's a living legend. Yeah, she's a legend. I didn't even know I was watching a legend, but I did know I was watching somebody that knew how to really use her words to make a difference. And so I said, I want to do what you do. And she said, come along, I'll show you how. So she introduced me to this association that you and I both love, NSA. And uh, I just realized that I could actually make a living doing this. I had no idea that people that aren't famous could make a living as professional speakers. And, and that one day meeting that one woman completely changed the course of my life for the better. So that's how I found myself there. Although it didn't happen overnight, it's a slow process, um, very gradual for me. But then once I let go of one branch and grabbed onto the next, it's been uh, accelerator down ever since. So I love it. So you bring up an interesting point. Being in, in, in the audience that day when the right person came and spoke, who you were able to have a conversation with, who then was willing to take a little bit of time to, to teach you and introduce you to the organization and to other speakers. Do you think that sort of serendipity plays its way in? to a lot of entrepreneurs? Oh, I absolutely think it does. And I also think that keeping your eyes open for the right match for a career that matches what you have to offer. So I have always felt ever since I was a child, I knew that my greatest strength is my ability to talk and my creativity. And even in the corporate job I had, that's really what I was doing. I was using those two skills. But when I found out that I could actually turn it into my own business as a solopreneur, then I got really jazzed about it. My favorite thing about this job is that I can decide right now, you and I can dream something up on the spot right now. And before we shut our lights off tonight, we can have it out in the market 
available for purchase, whether that's you and I speaking or selling a product or whatever we come up with. And that just gets me so jazzed that I don't have to ask anybody permission. In fact, I tell people, my boss that I work for, a doctor, he never let me use red on any of our marketing materials because I always felt like people would look at red and think of blood. And I always thought that was weird, but that's the way he saw it. And it was so frustrating me because I think red really pops on some of our marketing materials. So of course, when I left his employment, opened my business, my first logo, bright red, just because I could, right? (laughs) (laughs) So it's just, I love the ability to decide today and put it into motion immediately. It's great. So you uh, clearly, anyone who's listening can tell that you just have a lot of passion for life and clearly a lot of passion for, for what it is that you're doing. So what's your favorite part since you've been working for yourself for nearly 20 years? What's your favorite part of working? I, working I just solo? love finding out about businesses I didn't know anything about. You know, when you first start in this industry, a lot of people tell you you should pick, pick a lane, pick a niche, go deep. And so if I was going to do that, I would have stayed in eyes. Well, I got so tired of being the queen of eyes. That was not really doing it for me anymore. So when I started learning about these other industries, I was exposed to things that I didn't even know existed. You know, somewhere there's a factory that's making the screws that go in the seats of your car. You know, who thinks about that kind of stuff? And so then I started meeting the people behind the ones who designed the screws and put the screws in place. And it's just every time I go out on the road, I meet somebody interesting and they've got a story and I just love the exposure to people. That's my favorite part. And and I fully agree. That's what I love about the business is you do get to interact with so many different people. Just this week, I was with a large uh, association in the insurance business. And, you know, I spent three days at their conference. I spoke at their first timers event. And then the next day I spoke at their international attendees event. And then Mm -hmm. I did like my little conference catalyst deal at one of their main luncheons. And Mm -hmm. two days later, I was inside a law firm with 10 partners and senior associates doing a small seminar and one-on-one coaching with some lawyers in a really powerful firm, just one-on-one or, or, or one to 10. So mm-hmm. it's like, you know, one day I'm at a conference with 10,000 people. The next <laughs> day I'm in a conference room with 10 people. It's, I love it. I know. And, but don't you think it's a challenge sometimes from a speaking perspective, you got to keep the energy up and it can't be dependent on the number of bodies in a room. So like you said, it can be 10,000 people one day and 10 the next, and you've got to bring the right energy and the right game to each of those situations. So it it takes just as much energy, but you got to really dial it in and get focused. And I think that's fun. And it does bring up an interesting point because it's not the same. It's different. Now, you have to have that energy level, and it has to be tailored to that audience. But I spent a lot of time when I started speaking to groups of 50 or 100 and Rotary Clubs and you know Young Men's Business League and things like that. And I kept trying to learn to go on the big stage. And the first time I was on a large stage, there were 3,000 people, and I had spent years preparing to be able <laughs> to do that. And, and you go big. Your arms have to be bigger, and your, your, your inflections <laughs> have to be bigger. And then yeah. like three weeks later, I was with a group of 12. And I started off and my arms are big and my voice is big. And I realized like, oh, my God, they think I'm crazy. (laughs) They're thinking you better cut the dose a little, right, Tom? (laughs) That's (laughs) That's right. Get him back on his meds. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> so it is, it is, uh, I agree with you that it is all about the, just the differences that you get to meet and the different types of companies and people. So if there's somebody listening, and, and there's a lot of people who listen to this show who want to go do their own thing, they're still working for a company and they have that sure. little, little pang like, I, I want to do what they do. Mm-hmm. What advice do you have for someone? Maybe they want to be a speaker. Maybe they want to go start a, a, a company that manufactures the screws that goes into car seats. Right. What, what advice do you have for someone who wants to take the leap? and start their own business? Well, I think it's so important 
that they run the numbers because if they want to go out on their own, we already know they have the passion for whatever that thing is. So that's a given. Let's put that aside. And we know they must want to leave what they're currently doing and try something new. So the initiative isn't an issue. We got to put that aside. So I think it's really good to look at each thing and say, okay, that's not an issue. Move it. And when you pair all it down, all of it down, it comes to do the numbers work. And what I mean by that is, as I, I consider it back in quota, and this, this is how I did it in my business, and it doesn't matter whether it's speaking or selling screws, you have to know what you need to net each month, whether it's for the company or whether it's for your personal income, and then start backing it in and realize that when it comes down to it, you've got to be able to get, let's say, 100 customers to ring your phone. And out of those 100, you have to be able to get 50 that want to go to the next step, what I call the buying cycle. And then when it's all done, you know you need 10 that needed to put money in the cash drawer. Whatever those numbers are, a significant amount of time has to be spent looking at them so that you know if you can make it. Uh, For example, I got it in my head one time that I wanted to try a retreat center, and I thought it sounded like a great idea, and I had all those things I said, the passion and the drive and all that great stuff, and then I went and found a piece of property, and I really sat down and looked at by the time we bought it and we fixed it up and we did everything we needed to do, I couldn't have possibly have made that business a success. We wouldn't have been able to drive enough people in or we would have had to charge them so much. It would have been cost prohibitive and it became very clear on paper, this isn't going to work. Where on my speaking business, I could prove to myself running the numbers that it could work. And I think we get very excited about our passion and forget that you've got to make that work. You don't stay in business very long. So that is that is really good advice. And and you started off by talking a little bit about pricing, and then you said sort of reverse engineering it and being able to figure out if you can make money. So how does somebody, especially if they're new to the game, whatever game it is, how does somebody figure out what the right price is to charge? And and I ask you this question because you're sort of, sort of known as the queen of pricing. You do a lot of unique things in our industry that people mm-hmm. look that people look to as wow, she's a genius. So let's let's talk a little bit because I've found that was one of the hardest things that I had to do was kind of find my own sweet spot. So how does someone price a product or a service? Yeah, absolutely. And and that's exactly what I call my pricing structure is sweet spot pricing. And I do think that there are a lot of industries that could use this idea. And I'm actually really jazzed about it right now because I thought it only applied to speaking or let me put it this way. I was only thinking about it in the speaking realm. And then uh, somebody in a different industry heard about it and did a reach out to me. And I said, well, let's see how this fits in your, your industry. And sure enough, it works. So let me see in, in the short time we have if I can lay it out. And, and again, if, if we run out of time and people want to learn more, I'm more than happy to provide information on this. But the way I do this is that, you know, three-tiered pricing is very common. It's been around forever. And it is a proven fact that most people like middle ground of things. So, Tom, if I sent you and your wife out to look for a refrigerator this afternoon you wouldn't buy the one that looks like your grandma's fridge. And you probably don't need the one that dances and spits out colored ice. So you're driven, you're, you're, you push towards that middle package. So I call that deluxe. My three are lined out. We'll call them basic, deluxe, and premium. And I design my pricing structure to drive you to that middle ground because you're already, uh, the odds are you're already going to tip that way anyway. Now, the only way that you're going to know middle ground is if I create the other two extremes. So think of it like the uprights on a football field. The only way you know how to kick the field goal down the middle is if I give you each side, each bracket going up. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Okay. So I want you to pick the middle package. 
So after we are done talking, by the way, don't ever quote a price over the telephone. And if anybody listening has an industry where you are expected to quote by proposal, I think you need to give yourself time to gather your data. Don't just say, hey, this is my price and spit out a number. Because the odds of you spitting out a number that exactly matches the budget the person has in mind, well, I think the odds are against you. So I don't answer that question. I say, you know, I believe I have something for almost any reasonable budget. Why don't you tell me a little bit about your project? And then I be quiet and I listen. So when the telephone call comes to the end, if you are my lead, Tom, I would say to you, well, Tom, I think I have everything I need. If you will give me about an hour, I'm going to take all this information, put it together, and I'm going to send you a three-tiered proposal for consideration. How does that sound? You say, great. And then I love this sentence. I'll say, if you haven't already told me your budget, I like to say, it is really important to me that at least one of the packages that I send you fits in the budget that you have in mind. Would you like to tell me what that is? Wow, that's great. And you either do or don't. But I bet a, <laughs> lot, of, I bet a lot of people do. They do, because we've already had a long conversation. This isn't the front end of a conversation. This is the back end. And so a lot of times they'll say, you know, we'd really love to get it done for X. Well, now I know I'm working with X. So that's good to know. So I will put enough benefits and features in the deluxe package to justify X or whatever I want that number to be. I always say to people, it's the amount of work I want to do for the amount of money I want to be paid. And I hope that that fits in your budget because then everybody wins. So after I establish that, then I take a look at a basic package. This is less work than you want from me and less that I want to be paid. So it's think of it as less than. Now there's two keys to making the basic package work. There has to be a deterrent a reason why the customer won't pick it. So in the speaking industry, my two favorite deterrents are, this package is available when I'm already booked in your area. So I live outside Chicago. You're hosting a meeting in Austin, Texas. If I'm already in Austin for something else, then you might be able to scoop me up at that basic rate, which is less than my deluxe. But if I have to get on a plane and fly special there for your meeting, then this package isn't available. Another great deterrent is um, the content is industry-specific, but not customized. So we call that an off-the-shelf meeting. I don't have to do a lot of homework. I don't have to do a lot of specialized content building. It's a lot easier for me to do that work. So for the non-speaking people listening, think about some other deterrents. Maybe it's narrowed down to three selections. Maybe you're a caterer and you're instead of having a full menu that people can choose from, if they can only afford the basic package, then they have a set menu to choose from. And, and you've controlled the cost on maybe what those food items are. And again, I'm making this up off the top of my head, but something like that. You've done something where I go, well, you know, I really want to offer fish and beef. Well, that's not available in the basic package. You have to go to the deluxe level if you want to serve two entrees or whatever. Now, when I'm done with that, I go to the premium package. This is important. Way more work than I want to do for way more money than I think they'll pay. <laughs> So you're going to look at this and go, oh, Lori, we would love to have your premium package. We really just can't afford it. So that's driving you to the deluxe. And here's what's interesting. For people who can't decide how much they should charge for their work, if you have two or three clients in a row that buy your premium package, what does that tell you? You're not charging enough. Exactly. You're not charging enough. So you go, wow, I can take whatever you've been quoting at premium, move that up to deluxe, And now put a higher number on premium. And this is what's going to help you figure out that you'll be shocked. There'll be people willing to pay twice what you thought they would pay 
for what you're quoting because you don't know this is a guesswork. And I don't like it in our field where people, they set their prices by comparing themselves to somebody else. Well, that's silly. You and I are not the same people. We don't speak to the same target. Why would I compare my prices to your prices or vice versa? It just doesn't make any sense to me. And so most of the time on the premium, if I've set it right and it's way outside, if they call and say they want the premium, I need to feel disappointed. That's the important thing I want you to get out of this is that you should inside your head go, oh, man, now I got to deliver all the stuff I was going to deliver. You want to be disappointed about premium. That's what makes this work. But most of the time, the numbers set high enough that what they say instead is either, Lori, we're going to need to take your deluxe package. Okay, then I'm doing the booking dance. I'm happy with that. Or they say in a disappointed voice, we'd love to do the premium, but we just can't quite afford that. Here's the next line. Well, Tom, is there a specific bullet in the premium options that really attracted you? Yeah, we'd love to have that secret shopping thing you do. Well, I'll tell you what. How about I take out just that bullet, move it up to the deluxe package, and now I'll charge you X plus Y. Well, and I know that a couple of people who have used your your pricing system, I know a couple of people who priced it high to the point that it was a lot of extra work, but instead of being disappointed, it was such a big number. When the client picks premium, they're like, ching, 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 and they're doing the dance because even though it's a lot of work, it's still a really big number, and that makes a lot of people happy no matter what their business is. Absolutely, and again, if that happens to them again in in the near future, then they should be moving that to deluxe. We don't want them to pick premium. See, that's kicking the field goal outside the range. And my system only works if you keep developing. Yes, it's great that they were happy about premium, but I want them to be slightly disappointed they didn't get premium because then you're getting your deluxe package higher and you're getting priced uh, better. The important thing about this system too is that not at, there are no two proposals that come out of my office that are identical. Why? Because there's never two identical clients. I'm not traveling the same distance. It's not the same audience. Requires different level of homework, different amount of customizing. I mean, the list goes on and on. So when people talk about fee integrity, I want to talk about that for a second because this is how I define fee integrity. If I'm coming to Austin, special trip for you, and you give me the parameters of your meeting, and then the next guy calls, and it's the exact same thing. I'm flying to Austin. It's the same amount of homework, same amount of audience. And the guy tells me he has a budget that maybe is $10,000 higher than yours. I am not going to magically be $10,000 more. I'm not going to change my price because he told me he had X amount of dollars more than you. I'm going to give him the same basic proposal I gave you, all things being equal. But that doesn't happen very often. Things are not apples to apples most of the time, at least in our business. Now, maybe the other entrepreneurs listening, they'll say, look, I don't have that much discrepancy from person to person. Then you may have a template of a basic deluxe and premium that you are using for everybody. But the point is giving people options and driving them to the middle will increase your income. Well, and having known you pretty well for about the last year or so, the one thing that I'm most impressed with is you are always shopping in your head and watching people and observing for ideas of what else can I put in my packages, be it deluxe, basic, or, or premium. You're always looking for what else can I be offering that is a, I guess you called it a, a line item or a bullet point. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that's where a lot of us fail is we say, oh, I am a speaker. I go and speak, period. 
And it's like, no, look at all the other things you can be offering and you tailor it to that client. So that's what I've learned from your three-tier pricing and the way you do it is I'm always looking for what else can I be offering and how can I fit that in? Even if I don't do my pricing exactly that way, I'm always looking for what are the different things I can offer to clients. Well, that's true. And I love that part. And, and it really pushed me and I push other speakers too. What more can you do? Or here's another interesting thing. What do you already do that you take for granted that could be seen as valuable? And the example a speaker gave me one time and she cracked me up. She said, do you know if you go to buy a new car, there will be a sheet in the window that says that the car includes four radial tires. And she's right. (laughs) You expect there to be four tires on your car, but it's a bullet point under features. And so if we do, uh, let's say some people do very detailed handouts. They're like booklets. Well, that should be a line item. We can do classroom style, we can do postcards, or we can do spiral bound or bound booklets. (coughs) Excuse me, one, you know, one for each attendee. And that becomes a a line item. Well, the reason I wanted to have you on the show today is I think the attention that you put to pricing and finding that sweet spot for each client, I think is something that everybody has to, you know, has to pay more attention to. And it creates fertile ground for the conversation. Most people don't want to talk about money on either side. So if neither one of us want to talk about it, then this becomes this awkward moment where if instead we really forget about the dollar sign, but instead talk about what can I do to deliver what you need, then again, it just becomes this fertile ground where we can talk things through. Eventually, I have to assign a dollar amount to it, but it doesn't have to be the point of our conversation. Sure. Well, Lori, I have a couple of more questions I want to ask of you before I let you go on about your day. But first, I want to thank our sponsor. And this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. How do I know this? Because Podfly is my production company, and I never would have been able to start and have continued cool things entrepreneurs do if I hadn't run into them. They set you up with the right equipment, the right training, and the right guidance to ensure that you're going to sound good, and they do all the heavy lifting and technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, like interviewing people like Lori Guest and growing your audience, like those of you who are listening right now. I'm a big fan of Podfly, and I can't say enough nice things about them, and they have come back and sponsored this show, and they have an exclusive offer for my listeners. If you're listening to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, and you would like to find out, maybe you want to start your own podcast. Maybe the time has come. You just have to go to podfly, P-O-D-F-L-Y dot net slash cool things, and they have a special offer for you. So, Lori couple more questions. Sure. What is something new and exciting that you're doing in your business right now? What's cool in Lori Guest's business? I am so excited about Revisit.com. It's R-E-V-I-Z-Z-I-T. I have no financial interest in them, so I'm not trying to do a commercial to make money, but I'm trying to get people to understand how cool it is an online learning tool where you can take PDFs and you can make them feel almost interactive. You can add video, you can add audio, downloadable documents. And so I've loaded up my first um, product on this and I'm really excited. Um, It is called Brewmore Business, 93 Ways to Get Booked and Get Paid. And so people can go and sign up for this. 
us. And in addition to getting the 93 ideas, they also can get a one-hour phone meeting and an invitation to a private Facebook page called The Brew Cafe, where we talk about how to make money and get booked in speaking. And I am very excited about how easy it is to use. I was getting on an airplane when I loaded the document up, and by the time I landed at my location, it was ready to go to market. And so if you are, you know, even an entertainer or you don't even have to be an author to use this, you can be very creative in how you get your intellectual property out to your customers available for purchase. So I really hope that people can check them out and see if it might be something they're interested in. So this new product that you have, what did you call it? The Brew? I call it Brew More Business. So it's specifically designed for speakers and trainers. I don't know if people outside the industry would get that much out of that particular product, but I'm excited about it because it allows us to become very interactive with the content that we have. And it was so easy to easy to load and get ready to put out to market. So it's called Brew More Business at Revisit.com. I'm really excited about it. Excellent. And how do you spell Revisit? He spells it R-E-V-I-Z-Z-I-T dot com. And there's a whole bunch of stuff on there, everything from learning how to play a ukulele to <laughs> all kinds of things. So there's it's, it's a sort of like a modern-day Kindle, or not modern-day, but you know, a, a different version of Kindle, only very interactive. So I hope, uh, I hope your solopreneurs and entrepreneurs will check it out and see if it might fit into their business model. They might be surprised at how creative they can get with it. So Lori, we could talk about you and your company and the cool things you're doing all day long, but I <laughs> tend to think the best entrepreneurs are observers, and they're always watching, and we, we already talked about the fact that you're doing that. So what is something you see someone else doing where you think that's cool? Well, I saw somebody do something this week that I am so impressed with. And um, give me an idea on time, on, on time, Tom. Do I need to tell an extremely short version of the story or what are we doing on time? So, so the great news about not being on like broadcast radio is yes. we can run long. So tell your story. You know, okay. let, let's, <laughs> let's not get to the point where I'm going, all right, Lori, yeah. go ahead, tell you your story. now because if we were in person, you could be giving me the eye contact with that, the rap sign. That, that's right. But this story is really cool. So I was with three fellow speakers earlier this week in Kansas City, and we were doing a, a, a women in business event. And there was probably, I don't know, 70 or 80 women. They're all different industries, and they're all looking to be um, better entrepreneurs. And one of the things I talked about during my program is how we can package things in a more creative way. So that's one of my other things that I'm known for is I package my stuff different than maybe other speakers do. And so I just randomly, I had everybody put their business cards in a box before we ever started. And so throughout my program, I would just randomly pull a business card out and I would use a person as an example. So I pulled out a lady's card and she happens to have a healthcare. She's an independent distributor of different types of, oh, things like supplements and, and sleep well vitamin juice and a variety of things and I happened to pull her card out of the pile and so I was saying to her that as speakers on the road if we had some type of help me survive the road travel kit. I'm just making this up off the top of my head, trying to give her ideas that instead of selling your refreshed juice separately and then your wake-up stuff or whatever her different things are, put them all together in a cool package and then call it keeping me sane on the road. And myself and the other three speakers laughed, and, and that was about all there was to it. We moved on. When the lunch hour came, instead of staying for her lunch hour, this lady got in her car, drove back to her home, which was 20 miles away, made 
four of these kits that I just got done talking about came back to the meeting and gave each one of the kits to the four speakers that had been there. And she put a note inside saying, this is your keep you on the road kit. She showed us what each of the items were for. And what I am so impressed with is that the idea had never crossed her mind. I pitched it out to her off the top of my head. And within 45 minutes, she had created it and put it in our hands that's impressive. Wow. Shouldn't we all do more of that? Oh my gosh. I just said to her, I'm going to tell everybody about you. <laughs> I mean, I just was so impressed that she took action because Tom, how many times do you and I go to meetings and we write these great ideas down and we say we're gonna, or we should, you know, those evil words, but it has never crossed my mind to jump in the car and go do it right that second. <laughs> she just blew me away. Well, one of uh, the people who we both know who was guest number, I want to say number three on, <laughs> on cool things entrepreneurs do is a lady by the name of Jessica Pet. Sure. She, people who listen to the show know that I have this great mastermind group and she's part of that mastermind group. And when she put the group together, Mm -hmm. one of the things she did is she said she only picked people who had a gas pedal because she (laughs) said so often you hear people come up with an idea or someone gives them an idea and they go, oh, that's great. And they never do anything with it. And she was looking for people who actually would say like, oh, I got an idea, zoom, push the gas pedal and, you know, just go. And it sounds like this lady would be somebody, Jessica would be like, that lady has gas pedal. Well, absolutely. And I mean, how fun would it be to have a group of people that, you know, there's one thing to be said about a mastermind. I love how you guys have put yours together and that's great. And I'm thinking, what would it look like if there was a group of entrepreneurs that got together that it's the gas pedal group and they're they're not trying to necessarily go deep into each other's business like you guys do, but just say, what are you going to, what are you going to do and hold each other accountable to putting the gas pedal down? And if, if I would have been on stage again after this lady, this this all happened when I was done speaking and I didn't have another chance to be on platform. But if I had been, I think I would have challenged this group to pair up and figure out how to put the pedal down on one thing and really challenge them. She's really got me invigorated, reinvigorated about helping people figure out how to take action. And I, I just, I, it was, it was great. I loved it. That was my favorite thing this week. Well, I've got something what. every week, but that's this week. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what, if anyone listening to this show sends me an email at Tom at Tom singer.com, T H O M at T H O M singer.com. And they title it gas pedal. I'll host an online uh, chat on like Google plus for whoever wants to be part of it. Like a week after the show, goes live. Anybody who emails, I'll invite them to it. And we'll just talk about ideas and what are you trying to do. And we'll have a gas pedal meetup, just a one-time thing. And if it goes well, we'll do it again. So maybe you can join if your schedule allows it too. Yeah, I would love to do that. But that's going to require... That's going to yeah. require at least one, if not more, people in the audience actually <laughs> yeah. pushing on their gas pedal and sending me that email. And I think half the time what holds us back is we don't actually know how. Like when people will call and ask me a question and, and I'll challenge them on something, the biggest thing I get is I don't know how to that. Who do I call? What connection do I make? And and I think that's the hardest part. So if we can look to each other to say, hey, I know who you can call. Here's somebody who will help you make the right connection. Well, like you just, you know, I've been interested in podcasts forever and I've never done anything about it. So here you have Podfly saying, hey, here's the guys to go with. Well, that might be just the thing I need to put my pedal down. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. So, and and I think, I mean, I was going to say, I use this as, a, as an example. I was scared of the technology, the editing, the how do I do an intro bumper? Exactly. You know, what if, what if somebody like, you know, 
gets a coughing fit and it has to be edited out. I, you know, I don't know how to do all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, so I, I actually, my gas pedal was I went to a conference called Podcast Movement last summer in Fort Worth. And I live in Austin, so it's only about a three and a half hour, three hour drive to Fort Worth. And mm-hmm. actually, I think it was in Dallas this year. I think it's in Fort Worth this summer. But I drove up to Dallas and I spent two days and my wife and daughters came with me and they went shopping in Dallas and we would meet every night for dinner. And we made it kind of a pseudo, you know, my girls call it family vacation without dad because I'm at a meeting either attending or speaking or whatever, and they come along. Mm-hmm. But uh, the reason I went was I knew I wanted to start Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, but I didn't know what to do. And, and that's where I met Podfly, and that's where I met so many of the different podcasters who've been so good to me in getting this whole thing you know, up and running and launched with ideas. And so that's what you have to do is just find someone who's doing it. They'll tell you how, and then you got to push on the gas. Absolutely. And having somebody keep you accountable to that gas like you do with your mastermind, that is so important. It it really makes a difference. Hey, so Lori, another question I love to ask everybody is, what do you do to give back to the greater good? Because in addition to being observers, I think great entrepreneurs like to leave their mark. They like to do more than just make money. So what do you do to give back? Well, at this point in my career, I am very dedicated to our trade association, which is the National Speakers Association. And I don't care what trade association somebody's in. I think you have to volunteer to keep that engine running. And a lot of people think they're going to go to their associations and get something. It's all about the get. And you know, you and I have talked about this before, Tom. If we quit worrying about the get and instead worry about real relationships and maybe the give, then good things happen. So in the last five years, I just decided I'm going to start being really focusing on the give. So I speak at a lot of our chapters and I will take time away from my schedule and time away from home and go do that for free. And every single time I do it, I really think I'm getting more than I'm giving. And it's just a fantastic way to to give back to that greater good. And it's really the spirit in which our association was formed in the first place. And so I really think if, if people could just look at what can I do for somebody else, even if it's just one person, I think good things come back to you. Well, and and the people that I coach, I always tell them, get involved with your trade association. I don't care if they're a speaker or a lawyer or an accountant. Get involved and actually volunteer and, and make friends with your peers who are doing the same type of work. And I get so much pushback from people who are like, oh, I don't want to go there because that's all my competitors. I can't sell to them. Well, if, you know, if everywhere you go, you look at all the other people as if they have a pork chop hanging around their neck and you're a wolf, <laughs> you're a wolf who hasn't eaten in three weeks and you're like, I'm going to devour that person. What kind of, what kind of life is that? First of all, yeah. I only go where there's people I can separate from their money. You know, yeah, you know, and exactly. And I wouldn't be in business if it wasn't for the cool people I met who showed me the way both one-on-one and by example of how you could make it in this business. And and so in our business, I, I'm thinking of a couple of people off the hand told me five years ago, six years ago when I got involved, oh, I wouldn't go to the National Speakers Association. They were launching their businesses at the same time and, and some mentor told them, oh, you don't want to go there. It's a waste of time. And five years later, six years later, I have a successful speaking business and they don't. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm like, well, you know, they're like, oh, it's too hard. I couldn't make it. And I thought, well, I know what the difference is. You know, they said, how come you were able to do it? And I said, well, you know, I got involved with this group and they're like, oh, that couldn't have helped you. It's like, well, I'm the one who just did it. And I'm saying it helped me. And I get arguments from people who go, oh, I'm sure it didn't help that much. Hmm. That is so interesting because everybody has to have their their peeps that know what it's like to be in whatever industry they're in. And nobody understands that. And I think especially true with speakers is that there's a lot of misconceptions of what our life is like on the road. And nobody understands that better than another speaker. So I just think it's very, very important. Everyone thinks it's first 
class and five-star <laughs> hotels and glamorous. And, and how many times have either you or I or one of our friends had to do like a, a one-in-the-morning drive because some airplane didn't take off? And they're like putting, you know, texting their friends going, someone call me so I don't end up dead in a ditch. And other, peop- <laughs> other people are setting their alarms for two in the morning and going, hey, it's my turn to talk to you. How you doing? What's going on? You know, I think that's the first conversation you and I ever had is by phone. Maybe we met briefly face-to-face at a conference right at the end of a conference. And then you were driving somewhere and you posted to Facebook, I am so tired. Can anybody call me? I'm like, I don't know this guy, but I'm going to call him. And I- <laughs> That's right. And we did. We talked for an hour. I remember it well. At least I kept you between the ditches, right? <laughs> you did. And and by doing stuff like that, though, it spawned a friendship and we've gotten to know each other. And now you are a guest on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. And you are a delightful guest. Thank you so much for being on the show. Happy to do it for you, Tom. And your podcast is great. I listen to it as often as I possibly can. It actually keeps me between the ditches when you're not around to be on the other end of the phone. So Excellent. you put the pedal down and you did it. And you're doing a great job. You should be very proud of yourself. Well, we're, having, we're having a good time. I'm having a good time. And and I think that the guests who are on do as well and, and that the listeners enjoy it. Hey, if somebody listened to this and they're like, I, I, I got to get more, a Lori guest, <laughs> how do they find you? They can easily find me on my website and that is solutionsarebrewing.com and the R is spelled out A-R-E. Well, that is fantastic. Thank you again for being a guest and to all of you who listened, thank you very much. Head on over to the Facebook page and leave a comment or you can tweet me on Twitter at Cool Podcast or at Tom Singer. Come back in a couple days and we'll have another episode with somebody interesting and fun who's doing something cool. And in the meantime, go out there, have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast was produced in part by Podfly.net. Podfly, passion for great sounding podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.